The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. But I'd like to excite a hunger inside of you for what God has for you today. That we're not just here going through the motions. This isn't simply a remnant who is refusing to not have church, but we're, we're standing on this, even though that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, but that there really is a reason for being here, that there is an impartation, there is a, a purpose and a move of the Spirit of God that's meant to have a, a long-lasting, if not permanent, impact on our lives and our current circumstances. So there's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word this morning, and I want to offer those things to you uh, right now. One, we're going to find out who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. I, I, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll sit in a church service and, and someone will say something and it'll just kind of, you know, hit your funny bone. It just tickles you, you know. And, and I had one of those moments where I thought, I'm, I, need to, I need to be quiet because I'm going to laugh too hard. People are going to think I'm being sarcastic, you know. But one of our, our elders was bringing a word uh, uh, one Sunday and, and he made the comment about, uh, uh, that at certain times of year you'll see magazines and they'll, they'll have a picture of, of Jesus on the cover and the question will be, who is the real Jesus? You know, that, for some reason that just cracked me up <clears throat> because I've seen those magazines. In fact, the other day I saw one and I thought, well, that's fitting because Christmas season people are thinking about you know, religious things and, and that would probably sell a few magazines. But one of the things that I want to look at in the scripture today is, is who Jesus is. Who, who is Jesus? I mean, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. We're going to find out uh, who, who Jesus is. A second thing we're going to find is why the Sabbath is important. Excuse me, why the Sabbath is important. Uh, it's, it, you got to think about this. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. It made the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, that's, that's something that obviously is dear to, to God's heart. He revealed that it's important, and, and there's a reason for it. Uh, a third thing that we're going to find is what crushes or destroys all of Satan's schemes. And I want to find that out in the scripture for the purpose of getting as much of that as I possibly can in my life and helping others to get as much as they possibly can in their lives in order to see a tremendous victory. So I want to get right into the word with who Jesus is or who is Jesus. If you have your, your Bibles there, you can turn to the book of Isaiah I want to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's a passage of scripture that gets pulled out this time of year. It uh, gets printed on our, our Christmas cards. Uh, you heard Pastor Jared sing songs this morning that involved uh, the, the verbiage from this passage of scripture. Wonderful, powerful song. In fact, I was thrilled that it was in the, the worship set this morning as it concerns the word that we're going to be receiving. We're going to lay a foundation with this passage of Scripture, and we're going to identify who Jesus is, and we're going to talk about the elements that make up who he is for the purpose of seeing these things active and powerful in our lives. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it reads like this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I want to tell you a couple of things that are, have taken place in my life personally that bring me to excitement as it concerns this 
word, this passage of scripture. One, the season that we're in. I, I love the season that we're in. I love the, the fulfillment of God's promise through the nativity, the birth of our king, uh, his, his upbringing, his life, ultimately his, his ministry and crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and, and the days that we live in, in the, the days of the church today. Uh, <clears throat> but I want to I specifically tell you that, that all of the turmoil and upheaval that exists in the world today, specifically in our nation, had me at a place where I sat down and made a comment to, to my wife, Ashley, just said, you know, honey, I, I need help. I need help. So many things are going on right now that are disturbing. Now, keep in mind, I want you to hear clearly how I said that. It, it has nothing to do with one side or another side. It just has to do with the discord. There's a tremendous amount of discord. No matter which side you're on, there's discord, right? It is really frustrating to me to see this. I mean, I, I think that this is really troubling, and it had me in a, a place where I was facing uh, really the best word that I can come up with is depression. I mean, I was sitting in my home with my wife, and my sons were, were not yet in asleep, which is really kind of rare for me. I'm, 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 I work a lot, and, and I miss my family a lot. I, I'm, I'm gone before they're up. I'm, I'm, I'm home after they're in bed. I mean, it happens a lot. So here's this perfect scenario for me, and I'm missing it. I'm missing it because of, of uh, this distraction. And so I, I asked her, I just said, now, I, I need your help. I need you to help me to keep my eyes on Jesus. Because right now there's a lot of distractions that are taking my eyes off of Jesus. And if I can keep my eyes on Jesus, based on what we just read in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, I will keep my eyes on the one on whom the government will rest on his shoulders. I mean, that's really an important thing to recognize in this passage of Scripture. You have the birth of our King Jesus. You see the, the, the baby and the manger and all of the nativity scenes and all of the, the greeting cards and all of the things that go out this season. And what you're seeing there is the ruler of heaven and earth. That all government will rest on his shoulders. If I can fix my eyes on him, that I will not be led into to this chaotic depression that is attempting to touch my life through all of the turmoil that exists. So, Father, please help me to fix my eyes on Jesus. To see that, that the government will rest on his shoulders and no one else's. And then this description of who he is is helpful. So the passage of scripture is brought to my attention by this reality that it's Jesus that will rule and Jesus that will reign. And then the description begins to bring a tremendous comfort that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, some of your translations will break up wonderful and counselor, you know, wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, uh, uh, mighty God, comma, eternal father, comma, prince of peace. Uh, the translation that I use just has wonderful counselor as one thing, and, and I think that either way is fine, but for today's purposes, we're going to look at wonderful counselor as one thing. I want to talk about Jesus as being these things in my life and in your life. Jesus being wonderful counselor, Jesus being mighty God, Jesus being eternal father, Jesus being prince of peace in your life. If this is what his identity is in the scripture, as God is sending him to be the Messiah, the Savior, that all government will rest on his shoulders, and this is his identity, I want every aspect of who Jesus is embraced and celebrated and lived out in and through my life. 
So I want to talk about Jesus as wonderful counselor. I want to talk about the word uh, uh, counsel. You know, I mean, if you, if you look up the word counselor in the dictionary, it's going to say one who gives counsel. So we're going to have to talk about counsel to find out what it is that Jesus brings as the wonderful counselor. Uh, I want to give you a, a few passages of scripture, and you're going to see some contrast. You're going to see, like, what life is like with no counsel and what life is like with counsel. Okay, so I'll give you a few passages of scripture. Proverbs 13, 10. Through overconfidence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. I mean, I take this passage of scripture and I have to ask myself, hey, are there any areas in my life that suffer strife? Well, there's a few. I mean, I could make a list. And if based on this scripture, that's the result of some sort of overconfidence, some sort of doing it my way and not receiving the counsel of Jesus Christ, I can take this passage of scripture, I can receive the direction that it's bringing into my life, I can adjust accordingly, and we can see to it that the strife is eliminated. And it will be eliminated by the receiving of counsel. I'll give you another passage of scripture, Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation or counsel, plans are frustrated, but with much counsel or many counselors, but much counsel, they succeed. I like the uh, translation much counsel versus many counselors. If Jesus is the wonderful counselor, you really only need one counselor, as long as it's Jesus. So this idea of many counselors is really the Bible's way of communicating much counsel. There's this need for a lot of counsel in your life, that our lives are meant to have direction, not just on occasion, where, you know, once a year we go and we have a retreat where we pray and we ask God to give us some direction, and then that's kind of it for the year. This is meant to be a, a part of our lives, our daily lives, even in real-time decision-making, much counsel. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. I have to ask myself, have I had any plans where I felt frustrated? Pardon me, excuse me. The answer to that is absolutely yes. Frustration exists in my life in certain areas. And I, I need to ask myself, well, then based on this passage of Scripture, what is needed to be introduced in order to eliminate frustration? Based on this passage, it's counsel. Good counsel. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with much counsel, they succeed. I want that success in my life. I want that success in your life, uh, success in every aspect of living, whether it's ministry or, or in marriage and family or, or business. I mean, any aspect of your life, we desire to have success be present. And according to this, success is the result of that counsel, that relationship with Jesus that brings counsel into your life. Uh, Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there's no guidance or where there's no counsel, people fall. But in an abundance of counsel, there's victory. I mean, basically what you're seeing here is the difference between victory and failure. And the separation between those two just happens to be, once again, counsel. And counsel in abundance. Jesus brings wonderful counsel into this world, into our lives, by his very existence, by his role as the Messiah, his presence as our king. Jesus is bringing everything we need to be free from strife, to be free from frustration, to be free from failure, but to come to know all that is celebrated by 
counsel, that absolute victory or success. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that I think is important to make a note of. It's out of the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. A wise person will hear an increase in learning. A person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So this is a passage of scripture to me that, that is, you know, sometimes I, I make this joke, nobody laughs at it, but it's like a Christian fortune cookie, right? I mean, you just sat down, Jesus cooked some fish for you, and you ate, and it's great, and he hands you your little holy fortune cookie, you crack it open, and it says, you know, a person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And you think, well, that's, you know. But I want you to, to pay attention to those words. A person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. I mean, there's a word there that we really need to pay attention to, and it's the word acquire. We can get hung up on the thing that we're looking for, that being the wise counsel, and we can overlook that it has to be acquired, where we just find our place, ourselves sitting in a place hoping that wise counsel will, will just simply happen. And I've been in that place before. But when you see the word acquire there, I mean, I, I want you to just kind of let your own wheels turn for a moment. What, what would that mean to you? Have you ever acquired anything? And what you did acquire, what, what did you do to acquire it? I mean, I have acquired groceries before, and it meant I had to go to the grocery store, and I had to, to shop for them and identify what I was looking for, and then I got extra things that weren't on the list, and then I got in trouble when I got home because I like to acquire ice cream, <laughs> and I like to acquire donuts, and oftentimes at the same time, I like to acquire a lot of things. But consider that, that this is a call, I mean, that which has the difference between, you know, success and failure, to prevent strife, frustration and failure, this is something that needs to be acquired. And I have to ask myself, do I acquire counsel from Jesus? Do I acquire counsel from Jesus? I want to give you a, a, a definition of the word counsel. It's interesting to me. I mean, you just go to the dictionary and you look up the word counsel and then your mind is blown. Because I want to read it, maybe it'll have the same effect on you that, that it had on me. Uh, advice given. Now, it doesn't just stop there. Now, that, that would be like where I would stop, because that's how I see counsel, advice given. But let me give you the rest of the definition. Advice given, especially as a result of consultation. Meaning that it comes because it's sought. It doesn't just happen, rather it's pursued, it's acquired. And this is really amazing to me to think that Jesus exists to bring wonderful counsel in my life, that he's present, he's made himself available to bring wonderful counsel into my life and your life, to set me free from strife, frustration, and failure, to lead me into victory and success. I can consult with him, I can acquire it by meeting with him and pursuing it, and he will happily and freely provide it. That results in something. I want to tell you what that results in out of the scripture here. Proverbs 20 verse 18. Now to get this translation you have to go to a King James version and we'll use it for the sake of this message. Proverbs 20 verse 18 from the King James. Every purpose is established by counsel. When I go to Jesus, 
When I pursue that consultation, when I acquire his wonderful counsel, the result is purpose. My life is no longer in a state of free fall. It's no longer in some some random surrender to fate, whatever happens shall happen. But rather now, my life becomes very intentional. My existence, my actions, my activities, my words, my decisions, they all have purpose. Now, I've made this comment before, and it's not meant to be sarcastic, and it's sure not meant to throw rocks, but I think it's revealing when a man, and now it's an, an old book, I mean, it could be 20 years old now, but when a man wrote a book on purpose, it immediately became a bestseller and sold millions and millions and millions of copies, which told me that a lot of people, especially Christians, have a hard time identifying the purpose in their lives. That's revealing of something. But if we can achieve the acquisition of that wonderful counsel, if we can meet with Jesus, consult with Jesus, identify him as our wonderful counselor, and receive his wonderful counsel, the result will be purpose. It's who he is. Wonderful counselor. He's identified as mighty God. I want to give you a few passages of scripture here. Now, I mean, you could find this isn't an absolute teaching. I mean, you could go throughout the scripture and identify uh, points where, where counsel is, is wise to pursue and, and where God or Jesus is identified as mighty and work and, and indeed. But, but I want to give you a few that just stood out to me. And I think it's important to look at these from, from a specific perspective. Uh, one would be Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6 would just be a good read altogether. But I, I want to give you a passage of Scripture here, and, and I think it's important to see uh, specifically uh, verse 21. As you read through Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's talking about things. It, it's talking about uh, the, the things that God has done. It's talking about uh, the purpose of, of the things that God is instructing us to do. It's talking about God giving us uh, uh, commandments and instructions. And then it's revealing you know, what we're supposed to do with those things. The idea that God's directing my life and that he's given us a, a, his, his word to live according to and that he's present with us and instructing us and leading and guiding us. And now he's poured out his spirit so that we can fulfill his word and, and walk in his counsel and, and be led by him. The result in verse 21 is, is revealing to us why this is and it identifies God as mighty. Deuteronomy 6.21, it says, Then you shall tell your children... We were once slaves, and the Lord brought us out of slavery with a mighty hand. I mean, I think that's really cool that that's how it's written. I don't think it's written that way simply to be poetic. I think it's written that way for us to identify God, who he is, and how he operates. The idea that God is mighty. I mean, keep in mind, I told you that I was facing this, this feeling of, of uh, emptiness or depression, fear and concern. The, the, the door was cracked for anxiety to come in and take over. And that door gets slammed shut and locked by the idea that God's mighty. That no matter what you deal with, no matter what you face, no matter how tall Goliath is, no matter how vast Pharaoh's army is, God is mighty. And he's mighty to save, mighty to deliver. 
The idea that, that, that this is meant to be understood and embraced and this is meant to be spoken of to our children, passed down, tells me this is really kind of the point to identify God is powerful and he's mighty to deliver. He's delivered me before. He'll continue to deliver me today and tomorrow. Now, I mentioned to you before we're going to find out why the Sabbath is so important. I know that, that this is a bit of an opinion, but I want to offer it to you as such from the scripture. I mean, the Ten Commandments tell us to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy. We know that God rested and he called for the Sabbath day to be honored with, with rest. And I want to offer this passage of scripture to you out of Deuteronomy chapter 5. I want to look at verse 15. Once again, it has to do with God being mighty. It says, and you shall remember that you used to be slaves and that God delivered you from slavery by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to celebrate the Sabbath day. I mean, oftentimes when we put things in writing or things like that, we refer to the Sunday service as, as the celebration service. That's the reason for that. I mean, it's not just because we wanted something that sounded a little peppier or had a little more zing than church service, you know. But this is really meant to be a celebration. It's meant to be a party, and it's meant to be a celebration of our liberation from the captivity that we were once in, that we were in bondage. Our Pharaoh was Satan. The, the slavery that we were in was to sin and all corruption, and God has liberated us and set us free and delivered us from that land of bondage and led us into the fullness of his promises. I mean, this is our testimony, and God has called us, hey guys, take time and celebrate that. And then once again, that celebration is meant to be a sign. A sign so that my sons who stand next to me in worship and wonder, why are we doing this? When they ask me, I can say, son, let me tell you why. God's done incredible things for your dad. And he'll do incredible things for you too. This is how evangelism is meant to be thriving and active within the body. And I've seen more children separate from faith and I'm thinking to myself, what is the church doing wrong when parents are raising up their children in church and the children are refusing and rejecting God the moment they turn 18 and they're technically on their own? By the way, if you're a parent, uh, God doesn't see parenthood stop at 18. One of the greatest acts of parenting my father ever performed in my life was well after I was 18. And it was because he was my father and had the authority to do so. The fact that God is mighty, that he can set us free and deliver us. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture from the Psalms here. Psalm 24, verse 8. It's this question. Remember, the question we opened up with was, who is Jesus? I think this question's being asked in Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. I mean, I, I want us to develop the mentality that when we think of Jesus, when we see Jesus, we identify him as the source of the wonderful counsel that liberates us from strife, that liberates us from frustration, that liberates us from failure. I want us to see him as mighty, that no matter what enemy we face, he has the power to deliver no matter what. And then it results in this. Psalm 150, verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. 
I've got news for you. I, I don't go home, fill up the bathtub with water, and then just walk back and forth on it. There are Sundays I show up here and, and I'm thinking, it's a little loud, isn't it? How many songs are they going to play today? Do I have to preach today? I mean, because, but I realize something. I realize that, that that's the flesh. And the reality is, I need to come to the point where I can recall God's mighty deeds. And the moment I begin to recall God's mighty deeds, hey, you know what? You're not in handcuffs. Lift those hands. That's true. I'm not in handcuffs. I'm going to raise my hands because I can. There was a time when I couldn't. Uh, you know what? You're alive and well, and you're not dead in a ditch somewhere. You should move your feet. I will do that. You should lift your voice. I will do that. When I remember his mighty deeds done on my behalf, it transcends that laziness in my flesh to sit and do nothing, and it compels me to glorify his name. Remembering his mighty deeds. It does a wonderful thing. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father. I want to give you a, a few passages of scripture here as it concerns Jesus walking in this identif identity. Remember, he identified that he and the Father are one and the same. If you see Jesus, you see the Father in bodily form. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to look at verses 16 and 18. Sorry, 16 through 18. Paul is writing in this passage, and he's talking about a number of things that that contrast, you know, like light and darkness and sin and righteousness. And he goes through this list and he comes to this place where he's uh, revealing to us the purpose of God delivering us from darkness and, and delivering us uh, from sin. And it comes to this passage beginning in 16. It says, I will dwell among them and walk among them. Now, that's Jesus, right? And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, Come out from their midst, the midst of sin and corruption. Be separated from those things, says the Lord. And do not touch those things that are unclean. I will welcome you. Now verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. What a wonderful invitation. I mean, he doesn't just say, you know what, I'll, you can come and serve me and I'll just kind of tolerate you and rule over you as your overlord. But he extends this invitation, separate from those things, respond to my call to come and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me. Sons and daughters that receive love and affection, inheritance, sons and daughters that receive name, purpose, identity. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture here that are exciting. I mean, some of them just have little subtle things that you could easily overlook. Uh, the disciples, for instance, asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. You know, they, they heard him pray and they watched the, the power that, that he would walk in in, in ministry and they saw him praying and they just said, hey, can you teach us how to pray? And, and first of all, the good news is he didn't say no. Sure. And then the first words of his prayer should just blow our minds. Our Father. They didn't say, you know what, you need to go and you need to pray to the Father of me, Jesus Christ. But our Father. That there's a shared identity. 
that there's the shared fellowship and relationship that's family, that God the Father is our Father, our Father who is in heaven. Uh, Psalm 103 offers wonderful promises when we can identify Jesus as Father in our lives. 103 verse 13 talks about a father's compassion. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who revere his name. I'll give you a couple more passages of Scripture. Now, these are are passages that are going to be interpreted by your ears according to your life experience, and we need to deal with that. I want to explain that in just a moment. Deuteronomy 8.5. You are known in the heart of the Lord your God. You need to know that he loves you as children. You will know in your heart that God is disciplining you just as a father disciplines his son or daughter, his child. You're to know in your heart that God is disciplining you. I mentioned before that you'll interpret that according to your life experience. I mean, don't mistake discipline for punishment. Anyone who's been uh, raised by an overbearing or or an angry parent who was abusive in, in punishment... Well, don't, don't mistake the discipline of God for the punishment of a dysfunctional parent. Uh, never at any time uh, do we see that God is, is lashing out in anger and wrath rather than, than responding in a way that would bring us to a place of redemption. He's constantly leading us to redemption, which is what discipline or correction is. It is my goal as a father to discipline my sons because I love them. When they're off track, I want to get them back on track. It's a correction. It's a a changing of course. Punishment could just be, I'm mad, you tick me off, I can't hear the football game because you're being loud, so go to your room. That'll teach them. Obviously, that's pretty mild. Some people have known much, much, much worse. But the idea that God is disciplining us is the idea that God is grooming us and, and, and pruning us and, and moving us to a point of success and fruitfulness. He's correcting the things that need uh, correction. Literally, he is straightening out the things that are crooked. And we could spend a lot of time just talking about that. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says that the, the one whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. If you're ever wondering if Jesus loves you, just ask, is God changing your life? Just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. The same thing is written in Hebrews 12.6. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Mighty God, our everlasting father. He's bringing about change and transformation. I want to give you a a final passage of scripture as it concerns your relationship with with Jesus as this everlasting father. And and this passage of scripture is really telling and revealing as to whether or not that relationship exists between you and Jesus. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. All of us are the work of your hand. What an amazing passage of scripture. I mean, it's really amazing that this idea that the potter and the clay is is this identification of our relationship and that God's role in that relationship between potter and clay is the role of father. 
the one that is shaping and molding, the one that is, is, is uh, bringing to full potential the item that is there in his hands. That's the, the fatherly role. And the, the best illustration that can be found here is that of potter and clay. And in this case, we have it written, God, you are our father. And it doesn't say we're your children. It says we are the clay. You're the potter. All of us are the work of your hands. So here's the question that I have to ask. Is Jesus shaping my life? Or am I shaping Jesus? A lot of Christians today are trying to shape Jesus. We want a Jesus who doesn't uh, think this is sin. We want a Jesus who embraces that. We want a Jesus who says it's okay for us to do this. We want a Jesus who's willing to put a stamp and a seal on everything that we like, want, and think is okay. I'm telling you, I had a conviction when I was first born again, and it was the most incredible spirit-led conviction that has ever shaped and formed my life. It came in the form of a prayer, and I remember this prayer the first time it was prayed, and it's been prayed a lot even today. It was, God, please, let me base everything that I think on who you are and never base who you are on what I think. I mean, consider that. I want to be changed and transformed by your identity. I don't want to try to change and transform your identity. I want to be changed and transformed. Let me give you another way to say that. You're the potter. I'm the clay. I don't shape and mold you you shape and mold me. And according to Isaiah, that relationship makes him my father. You influence me. You mold me. You smooth out the rough spots. You make strong the weak points. You make me to be the best I can possibly be. And I surrender to your hand in the process. Jesus is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And then the last one on the list here, the prince of peace. I'll give you a few passages of scripture here from the, the gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 27. We see Jesus speaking and, and he makes this statement. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Uh, let not your heart be troubled, nor don't let it be fearful. I mean, so this passage of Scripture is one that means something to me in the situation that I was facing just recently. I mean, the last words there are really interesting to me. The idea that the statement is being made, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful, communicates the idea that, that a troubled heart or, or a fearful mindset is allowed. Let not your heart, don't let it be fearful. Don't let it be troubled. I mean, it, it informs me that, that I have a say in this matter. That when that anxiety begins to, 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 to push against me, I can make choices and decisions that will push back. And the peace that Jesus brings and gives is something that I want us to embrace and celebrate as he says to in this case, where he identifies that it's given but not as the world gives. I mean, have you ever considered the peace that the world gives? The peace is always compromised that the world gives. It always is the result of some treaty. Well, we will let this slide if you'll let this slide. Well, we'll negotiate this if you'll negotiate that. And then they'll call that peace. They should just call it compromise. They shouldn't say, hey, we reached a peace treaty. They should say, well, we reached a compromise because that's what it is. 
But what Jesus brings is peace. It requires complete and total surrender on one side, that's my side, and complete and total rule on the other side, that's his side. And when that takes place, the result is peace. I want to give you a passage of scripture as to the power of this peace. I mean, Isaiah chapter 54 verse 10 reads like this. The mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but the loving kindness of the Lord will not be removed from you and his covenant of peace will not be shaken. I've made this comment before and I'll probably make it till the the day I'm gone, my very last day. The most helpless I've ever felt was in an earthquake. I've been in fires, I've, I've been in, in tornadoes and windstorms and hailstorms and ice storms and all kinds of things, but the most helpless, I mean, where do you go when the very ground beneath your feet is giving way? There's nowhere to go. Unless you can sprout wings and fly, there's nowhere to go. And I think that's what's being written here. I think the idea that is being written here is communicated that in a, play, a time of absolute chaos and destruction, the one thing that will remain through that is God's covenant of peace. That's what we have in Jesus. I'll give you a, a passage of scripture here that identifies what that covenant of peace accomplishes and in what part of your being. It's pretty all-inclusive. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. I mean, if I'm looking at this in my Bible, I'm probably circling and underlining and highlighting the word entirely. This is absolute. No part of your life is meant to be outside of the reach of the peace of God. May your entire life be sanctified with peace. May it be in your spirit, your soul, your body. May they all be preserved and complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus. This sanctification, this preservation is all the result of the peace that God brings in Jesus. So I have to ask myself, you know, I mean, what does it look like to be peaceful? I mean, what does it look like to be peaceful? Because I want to identify whether or not there actually is peace in my life. The scripture says that there can be those who say, peace, peace, but there is no peace. I've got news for you, that could be me. I mean, if my identification of peace is just, uh, you know, not yelling, not, not punching, not, uh, you know, kicking and screaming, then, then that just opens the door to become the biggest passive-aggressive jerk that's ever walked the face of the earth. But what is peace? It's not just a decibel level, and it's not just the absence of violence. I want to give you a passage of Scripture that I think kind of identifies what peace is, if we can read between the lines. It comes from Romans, Romans chapter 12, and I want to look at at the verses 17 and 18. So so 18 reads like this, If possible, as, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. That's verse 18. Now verse 17 kind of describes what that looks like in your life. Verse 17 reads like this, Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Man, that is a passage of scripture that could really be embraced today when you look at the amount of discord and division that exists in our nation. It's not a call to surrender one's convictions. It's simply a call to behave oneself. 
And when we can function like that, it, it really produces something great that leaves zero room for the devil to operate. I want to give you a passage of scripture to confirm this, and we're, we're closing with this. I told you before we're going to find what crushes Satan. I want to offer this to you, that it's, it's that conduct of peace. It's not riots. It's not loaded weapons. It's the conduct of peace. Romans chapter 16 verse 20 says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. I mean, when I think about all of the adjectives that could be used there, all the descriptive words, when I think about how you could identify, you know, the God of power or the God of thunderbolts and lightning, the God of, of, of all kinds of, of, you know, warfare or whatever you could put in there, the reality is, is the Spirit of God is manifesting this truth for our edification and our well-being. That which crushes Satan that comes from God is peace. May the God of peace soon crush Satan beneath your feet. It makes me want to be committed to identifying Jesus as my King, my Messiah, my Lord, my Savior, as the Prince of Peace, that he will bring that peace into my life that, that equips me to conduct myself and behave myself in such a way that there's no room for Satan to prevail. Peace. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is mighty God. Jesus is the eternal or everlasting Father. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And as we turn our hearts and our minds and our attention this season to that nativity, to see the coming of our King laying in a manger, I want our hearts to see those things. I want our minds to recognize those things. And I want our lives to embrace the identity of Jesus Christ as bringing these elements into our lives to be released through our lives. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something in our hearts and in our minds for the purpose of making this idea a, a reality. That we could identify Jesus according to his biblical identity and embrace that identity in our lives. His wonderful counsel, his might and his strength, uh, his presence as our father shaping us rather than us shaping him. And that he would carry and bring peace into our lives that would equip us to destroy the works of the devil. I want to pray and I want to ask for those things. I want to ask for everything necessary for those things to exist and operate in our lives to be imparted to us by the Spirit of God. That we would be those who would acquire and pursue that counsel. Uh, that we would not uh, give our, our attention to the noise and the, the, the perceived strength of our enemies, but that we would be steadfast in the might of our God. That, that we would see to it that God is shaping us and molding us and that we would surrender to his hand that we would let him perfect us as he's promised to do. And that we could behave ourselves inside the church, outside of the church, at all times. I mean, the scripture talks about peace as an identification. When Jesus is speaking in the Mount of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be the sons of God. This is us. 
I want to pray and ask God to do these things for us so that we can conduct ourselves and live our lives in such a way that we celebrate the full measure of who Jesus is. And there where you stand, you can simply be in a state of agreement or receiving as we pray together. Father, we bless your name and thank you for the word. We thank you for our King Jesus. We ask for a renewal of our hearts and our minds. Let our eyes see him according to the scripture's identity. Let our hearts be transformed to embrace his role as wonderful counselor and mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace in every aspect of our living. And let our minds be renewed that we would function and behave in such a way that Jesus would be enthroned as all of these things throughout every situation and every circumstance that we may face or deal with. I ask by your spirit for a powerful, mighty work that we wouldn't simply grow in intelligence and, and, and Bible knowledge, but that we would be transformed by the power of your word and that we would mature as the saints, the holy ones, and let there be a powerful effect. Let us be liberated from strife and frustration and failure by the celebration of the wonderful counsel of our King Jesus. Let us be delivered from fear and anxiety of the, the strength of our enemies. Let us embrace and celebrate the might that will always prevail of our King Jesus. And let us be molded and shaped by the loving, compassionate hands of an everlasting Father. And let peace prevail in our hearts and our minds. Let our behavior be tempered by let it be shaped and molded by the presence and the release of peace in our words and our actions and let it leave no room for Satan to function and operate in any aspect of our life. Let Jesus be King of kings and Lord of lords and let him be enthroned on each of our hearts as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We bless your name and we thank you for the word. And we ask that we be transformed, that we be moved into the likeness of our King to bring you honor and glory in all things. We give you thanks. And again, we rejoice in the mighty name of our King Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.